change is the only constant. So why is it so hard? On Nothing Constant from Root, we explore why people and businesses are so resistant to change and discover the secrets on how to make change easier, faster, and lasting. And now, Nothing Constant. Nothing constant. I am joined by the currently slightly stressed, <laughs> slightly sweaty Gary Magenta. It's not sweaty, it's dew. <laughs> Dewy. I actually walked in this morning and I hadn't seen some co workers for a while, so I was feeling huggy. Yeah. And then I realized I was the sweaty old guy walking in the office saying, hug me. So mm-hmm. I had to warm people that I was... Mm-hmm. It's an interesting brand choice. Right. Personal so, brand choice. But I was hoping five, year, five hours later I was a little less sweaty. Hi everybody, this is the less sweaty Gary Magenta. I'm here with my co-host and colleague, Bridget Stallcamp, who is going to lead us in a fascinating discussion this morning. No pressure. So Gary, I was thinking about the last five years or so, just kind of reflecting back on some of the client work we've been doing, and I am amazed at the change in the way companies are using technology, both internally and externally, you know, with their their customers. I feel like we have had this b- big sea change from talking about big data as a as a mysterious thing to um, to really just integrating technology into just the way that we do business. So I thought because all of this tech is making companies smarter or more productive, I I thought we could talk a little bit about how technology is impacting customer experience and the employee experience. Yes. That sound good? Yeah, of course. There's a there's a automatically a clear connection between the two, right? Yeah. Yes. So um, let's talk about some of the tech that's sort of in the news these days. Um, one that just makes me laugh because I really had to get robot trained out of my head as like a thing, like a you know, like a thing that's supposed to look like a person, like R two D two or something. Oh, okay. And really think about robot like a like bot in terms of computer programming, but then here they are as real robots, hotel and retail robots. Oh, yes. Yes, yes. And they do look like R2-D2. They kind of look like R2-D2. Of course. So hotels are piloting delivery robots across the country. So you you need shampoo in your room. You need milk in your room, whatever it is. And a robot is coming to deliver it to your door. And then we're really seeing this trend in grocery as well. So Walmart is is, um, currently piloting five different types of robots in their stores. And several other grocers are currently testing different types of robots to do tasks from fulfillment and inventory to like full-on stand-ins for salespeople. So Gary, are robots awesome or are they awful? They are awesome in so many cases. Now, I'm all about the relationship. I want to get to know you and your kids and everything you did for the holidays at check-in, right? or anywhere else in a customer experience. But let me just give you yesterday's example. I am pressured to get to a client meeting early yesterday morning in Washington, DC. I have ironing to do, and I am ironing early morning. We're talking 6 a.m. to get out by 6.30, and the iron in the hotel doesn't work. I'm freshly showered, and I'm in a towel, and I call down to the front desk and say, my iron doesn't work. And they say, great, we'll send housekeeping right up with another. That's fantastic. But that means that there's a person on the other side of the door who doesn't deserve to see all of me that early in the morning. 
And then you're sort of weird sticking your hand out to grab the iron. Then it feels weird that you didn't give them a gratuity and then you're trying to stick two wet dollars out while you're taking an iron. I mean, none of it is comfortable, right? So I think, a, I was thinking even yesterday morning, wouldn't one of those bots be so good just with that little tray with the iron on it? So I love that piece of, that's just one story of why I love the bot. What's really the important piece is that there was somebody on the other end of the phone who showed me empathy. Oh, Mr. Magenta, I'm really sorry. Are you sure that the outlet mm -hmm. is working? Right? So offered me a some empathy, solution, and a prompt response. That's where I wanted the relationship or needed the relationship. Right. The function of just getting it to the door, I, I, you know, I'm naked and wet and I just yeah. need to get my shirt done. I thought about that because... I was thinking about the, oh, it's nice because you don't have to see another human being, but you're still opening a door into a hotel hallway. So please tell me that you were dressed. I don't like to lie to you, Bridget. Because I, think, <laughs> I think everything always comes out in the wash, but yeah. Okay. There was a crack situation going on. I mean, cracking the door. Got it. Um, so you think it's awesome. I do. I think it's stupid. Really? Yeah. I would think we would each have the opposite opinion on this. No, I Tell think it's more. stupid. All right, here's why. Because I don't think it adds up. I think that a bunch of people sat around in a boardroom and thought, what is the cool gimmick we could create in our, in our hotels or in our grocery stores that would enable this experience? And when you contrast what consumers actually want in their experiences with these robot things, it just doesn't add up. So going to some data, customers don't agree that you, you want to talk to a robot to shop. So 79% of retail executives believe that robots are helpful to customers and 66 of customers disagree. So the majority of customers disagree. They think that robots are quote unquote, an unhelpful scourge on the shopping experience. Only 5% of customers said they'd want more technology that it would allow them to talk or interact with a robot or a chatbot. And then also, there's also this thing where like retail executives think that enhancing stores with things like virtual reality or artificial intelligence or all these things will increase sales. So 79% of retail executives think that those shiny new technology things will increase sales in stores, but only 14% of consumers agree that those technologies yeah. impact their buying decisions. So Bridget, may I inter or do you want to do another? I just point here's first? the thing. I just feel like this stuff is kind of a waste of time and they're better off thinking about technology that drives greater convenience, that drives better a smoother experience. And I don't think the robot that currently is being piloted, what happens is you get an order, you talk to somebody, and that person physically puts something in that robot. And the way that those programs are designed today, one of the examples that a hotel employee gave was if somebody wants shampoo and body lotion, two different people are given that order, a shampoo person and a body lotion person. And then they have to put those things in the robot, and then the robot goes upstairs. That feels stupid to me. I don't even believe that. And then those ones they're in the in grocery the same, store are like... They're blocked by all the cards. Like, they're just causing traffic jams. It just seems like nonsense to me. You you hit it. You got me when you said that technology should be helpful in the overall experience, right? Yes. It's enhancing the experience. Um, I think it can do that. We've got to think about a few things in customer experience with bots. By the time a consumer 
get, needs to get to a person, they're having an elevated meter problem. This is serious. And I think that type of interaction requires an expert on the other end of the phone or chat room or whatever, and it needs to be a human. This is gonna be complex. I need empathy, I need understanding, and I need somebody with a strategic mind who can help me solve this, usually quickly in a time-sensitive manner. But there are points of interaction all along the way that's sort of seamless that a bot can do. So when I think about, we'll just stay in hospitality for a second. When I think about keyless entry, that's a bot. Wouldn't you say that's a bot? There's a mechanical thing. It's a technology. It's a technology. Yeah. You're bypassing the front desk. Yeah. But what I want from the front desk person is I still want a warm welcome and recognition. I want them to give me a recommendation on a local restaurant. I want things that bots can't do because it requires personalization and it requires understanding and in-depth question asking, things like that. So that's what I want that person to do. Right now, I feel like if I walk into that front desk and I am engaging you in, yes, here's my credit card, here's my driver's license, yes, at 5'4", I still want a king-size bed, thank you. If I'm in that conversation with you, I'm not allowing you to welcome me appropriately, share different uh, points of interest with me. So I think that the bots or the technology allow for the relationship time and allow that to expand. Yeah. I 100% agree that those are great uses of technology for customer experience. I think anything that makes it smoother, that makes it more convenient, that takes away your need to share information about yourself over and over and over again, awesome. I think that some of this augmented reality in the store robots delivering your stuff stuff is is novelty it's kitsch we're gonna look back on it we're gonna laugh let me give you a scenario okay let's say you walk into a clothing store and you are with your two daughters and you want to try stuff on you have kids that it's not exactly the right age to be trying stuff on but you got in front of the mirror and you were able to scan the shirt tag that you're in and it showed your body with that shirt on you as opposed to taking the kids in the dressing room and trying it on and et cetera. Would that be a helpful experience? No, it wouldn't. Can I raise my arms in that shirt if I lean over? Yeah, can I see super, anything down that super, shirt? It's, like it's ridiculous. Like I need, like you need, is it scratchy? Like it doesn't tell me anything. It doesn't tell me anything I already know by like taking a shirt and holding it up to my body. So maybe it's a poor example. <laughs> so if you, if you were able to take your phone and scan the tag and walk out the door, if you're able to have the Apple experience everywhere, is that helpful? That's fantastic. Yes. I think that we should invest in those type of technologies. I think robots are a $40,000 per hotel mistake. So I want to make that's sure I understand this. The robot in the R2-D2 form that's bringing shampoo to your room is a mistake. I think it's ridiculous. Or walking the hall hallways or of Or walking Walmart. around the Walmart, yes. Okay. I, or rolling around the Rolling yeah. so around So here, let me understand Walmart. the difference. It's about convenience. Yes. So if I, I think get... technology that does not require you to find something or for something to find you to work. So something I can use through my phone, something that I can use that's like directly embedded throughout the store, I'm here for it. A roving robot so that it can tell me where the celery is. Yeah, I want that. It makes zero sense. I want that. It makes zero sense, It doesn't, it makes sense. Here's why it makes sense to me. 
because we're all time starved. So here's the thing: when I go into a lot of times, I'm in a different I'm in a different grocery store. Mm-hmm. Depending on where I am for business, I'll go to a Whole Food or something. You don't want to sit out and right. eat out every. If I can get a robot to follow me around for a few minutes and help me understand where things are and ask them and they guide me, that's awesome. You want to be followed around by a robot? Or vice versa, follow the robot? Sure. Hey, where's the A1 I would rather have an app on my phone where if I say like celery, it says it's an aisle one. Okay, good. Either way. To me, it's artificial intelligence that's helping you navigate. And that's fantastic, but the robot is stupid. Okay. So let's talk about employee experience. So I think this is interesting because employees definitely see this as a threat. Um, But there's a lot of AI that has been incorporated in employee experience. And I feel like I've seen an explosion of this over the last half a decade or so. So I'm going to rapid fire here on you. Different ways that people are using AI today in the employee experience. And you tell me if it's awesome or awful. Mm -hmm. Ready? Uh, number one, recruitment and onboarding. So AI pre-screening of candidates before inviting the most suitable in for interviews is an increasingly common practice at large companies, which makes thousands of hires each year and sometimes attracts millions of applicants. Is it awesome or awful? Awful. Awful. You're inviting somebody to be a member of your family and you're going to have AI screen them? Would you screen your mate that way? Um, I mean, people do. It's called dating apps. No. No. You have to make an emotional connection with a new employee or not. But think about these. No, this is pre-screening. This so wait, is, you're for this. Let me understand. Yeah, I think it's awesome. Oh, of course. So <laughs> pre, of course. pre-screening your applicants. You get millions of applicants a year. You need to whittle them down. Why wouldn't you? Why would you hire like an intern to sit there and be like, "All right, Gary has oh zero experience in this. Throw that away." Oh well, wait a minute. If Versus, you're talking about preliminary screening, it is qualifications, I, well, you need to listen better because I said pre-screening of candidates. But I didn't realize it was qualifications. I thought it was you know a, a technology that was pre-screening no, them through some sort pre-screening of pre-screening before inviting the most suitable in for interviews. So if it's based on qualifications, yes. Off, awesome. Awesome. Thank you. Okay. All right. So. I have been scolded. Are you. You see how she yells at me? Did you? You're witnesses to that. Yes, Bridget. Someone's got to do it. I agree with you now. All right. So number two, is it awesome or awful? Surveillance in the workplace. Uh, more than 50% of companies with a turnover um, above $750 million use digital data gathering tools to monitor employee activities and performance. This includes analyzing the content of emails to determine employee satisfaction and engagement levels. Is it awesome or is it awful? I sent this email to a friend of mine that I had, a corporate client friend of mine. We were obviously met through work, but we developed a genuine friendship. We're to each other's homes, et cetera. I sent him an email once in it with the word shit, and it was blocked. And then he got a notice that this email center, sender is using language that's not appropriate for our culture. Please take action. What? Wow. Wow. So, so is it awesome or is it awful? Yeah, for someone like me, <laughs> being monitored probably isn't, my, isn't the best for me. So I'm going to say, well, there's two schools of thought on that. I'm going to say it's, I think it's gone too far. Um, and that email interception, things like that, that's gone too far. Um, if you're not doing anything wrong, you should have nothing to sweat or worry about. But at the same time, I think you know, you know people want to pick their nose. I mean, it's just it's right. stuff that happens. Yeah. Um, so I don't really want to be monitored for picking my nose or saying shit on an email. Yeah. I'm, I'm kind of torn on this one. I kind of see both perspectives. So on the one hand, something like monitoring a company email, well, it's not your emails, companies. 
and it's not your computer, it's the company's computer. Like, I kind of I get it. I see the reasoning. And I see how they would want to use all the information at hand to make good decisions. I think there is a very, very fine line to overstepping that to the point where your primary message to your employees is that you don't trust them. And if you don't, if no one feels like anybody trusts them, then they behave in a way where they are not trustworthy. Like that's just yeah. so it's like psychologically, like there, there's a vicious cycle to that that could go very, very wrong for mm-hmm. a company and make people create workarounds and have secrecy and, you know, find ways to hide things that aren't even worth hiding. And so I, I kind of understand the point of view of like, well, it's our email, so we should be able to scan it. And yet I feel like it's they're playing a very dangerous game. Yeah. So I, I'm, I'm against it overall. So let's go one step further in that. With, well, it's not the company's email. It's it's not your email. It's the company's email, which you you can't argue with that. That's that's the case. But let me just give you my experience last night. We're standing up some new web pages, and I've got responsibility for them. Which meant all night we stood it up and we're making hundreds of changes uh, in, in from nine p.m. to one o'clock this morning, mm-hmm. and it will continue. So I'm there at that time of night working with our marketing team on making ongoing changes. At the same time, I'm getting emails from the guy who's doing some work for me on what appliances I want in my kitchen, right? I'm emailing on my work email with him too. No, it's not that stovetop, it's this stovetop. If we expect our employees to integrate life and work and say, well, look, it's five o'clock, so I'm not gonna, or in Roots case, it's 5.30, so I'm not gonna worry about that website tonight. I'll take care of that tomorrow morning. That's not true. We have to do it at night when our customers aren't on it, right? If we expect our employees to integrate and mesh their personal and work lives and the hours they put in, we've gotta be able to integrate these other things. I am talking about my kitchen appliances on my work email. Right, yep. Period. And if we don't accept that balance, then you know I don't think we're going to get employees who will say, "Yeah, let's hang out till all hours of the morning, figuring out yeah. if the work should be." Well, there we've, or we've there. talked about this before. You can't have it both ways as an employer. You have to both expect and accept sort of the meshing of work life, or you have to have the expectations where it's totally separate. And I've seen clients who have it totally separate. Like I'm thinking of you know hourly employees who are claims workers, right? They sit down, they clock in, they don't check Facebook, they don't, you know, they are working during that time, they clock out for their lunch, they don't touch anything for their lunch, they clock back in, they leave at 4.30. That's the expectation, right? And they only use their email for Yes, and they're not doing it when they get home, they don't have another And they're not doing it when they get home. Then it's totally separate. If it's not totally separate, then I think you have to accept Agree. The unintended consequences. When I walk into a financial institution or a medical institution and I see people with two cell phones, I get it. Yeah. HIPAA, financial security, all of that. Most other places, I'm not walking around with two cell phones. And if I can't text poopy caca with my best friend, there's a problem. Right. Don't be up in my text because you're going to be upset with me. Mm -hmm. That's just all there is to it. I'm having a personal life integrated into my regular day as well. And that will go on for 18 hours a day. And that's how you get your most productive employees. Those who give you the most, the discretionary effort means that that discretionary effort is before 8.30 and after 5.30. There you go. Meaning, yeah, it's, you just back off. <laughs> All right, let's talk about one that makes, I think is the thing that makes the workforce most uncomfortable, and that's the augmented workforce. So technology being used to reduce 
repetitive or administrative tasks, things like providing real-time translation for global conversations, tools that help us make sense of data, that type of thing. And I think this is one where it's like, this is what makes people uncomfortable because it's often thought as a, something that will replace it's a threat. humans and, and lead to job losses. Sure. And I think it can have some unintended consequences. Like I'm just thinking of like all the Kronos fiascos that happened probably about five or so years ago when they analyzed the, you know, everything was sort of automated and they analyzed the data. So they started making these like crazy work shifts for people. And it was when they started building in these like on calls where people were essentially slaves to their jobs, whether or not they got paid. And it was kind of technology run amok. And I think that they've reined that in. I think I have it's actually no illegal. idea what you're talking about. So you, I'm getting it's not a, okay. Zero. So do you know what Kronos is? No. So Kronos is a timekeeping. It was a combination between a donut and a croissant <laughs> for a minute. That's a cronut. Cronut. Okay. So right. timekeeping in like a retail environment, for right. example. So when I worked in retail 15 years ago, you had to hand make that schedule. Like yep. you went in and you moved people mm-hmm. around, and you know all that. So you were given a budget of hours and you allocated them. And then along came this technology that said, no, 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 we'll do all of that. We'll centralize all of that. You just input who the employees are. You input their schedule and out pops the schedule that's perfectly aligned with the labor hours. I'm familiar with that technology. I didn't know the name. So that went... The machines were running the, the, the company, right? Yes. So the the hours started getting very goofy where people had like split shifts and things like that. And then they started this whole on-call thing, which is basically like, we will not guarantee that we you can come in and work, but you better guarantee that you're available and to come in. And meanwhile, moms and dads can't schedule their one-year-old's birthdays. Exactly. Yes. So this all, I think there were several states that ended up making some of that illegal and they kind of walked yep. it back. But when I think about the sort of AI augmented workforce, I think those are the types of things that make people uncomfortable. Like there's a little bit of that stripping of humanity out Mm -hmm. that in some ways can be very productive because you can make very rational decisions and in other ways can be incredibly dangerous. So you haven't mentioned, I thought this is where you were going and you didn't, um, you haven't mentioned sort of the job replacement. So automated yeah, forklifts. Yeah, automated forklifts, automated legal review. I mean, there's all kinds of ways people can be Yeah, the replaced. AI piece. Yeah. Yeah. So awesome or awful? Is that the question? Yeah, that's the question. Uh, can I do a different response? Sure. Reality. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's just where we're going. Um, the technology is going. So I think there's always a pendulum swing. I think the pendulum is going to swing to too much before it swings back to center. And we're in that swing right now. Mm-hmm. What it says to me as a society, as a country, we have to be investing in raising the skill level of our average worker. So the idea that you know you can be unskilled labor and successfully employed needs to go away. Mm-hmm. Even field workers, I mean, we're gonna pick strawberries by machines more yeah. than a hand at some point, right? So we've got to get rid of this idea that you can make a living doing manual labor because that's all going to AI. We have to invest in our people to grow their skills and capabilities. So when, when someone says to me, oh my goodness, you know, my dad was a forklift driver for 40 years and now that's going away for automation, we're ruining society, I think, okay, well, we want your dad to finish out hopefully that career and will happen. But for you or the grandchildren, we need to be raising you to be the programmer of the automated 
forklift mm-hmm. as opposed to the forklift driver. And I don't just don't think as a country we're invested as in our competitive as it's in competitive countries out there investing in the math and sciences necessary to elevate our workforce. That's where I think the problem is. I think it, I think what you're saying makes a lot of sense, and I I do think that we're trying really hard to pull a lot of technology in right now. And I don't know if we're necessarily giving as much thought as we need to into the actual user friendliness. So what made me think that is I was doing some research on this and one of the things that was cited was a recent Gartner study of 2000 frontline contact center representatives. 65.8% of respondents described their experiences with systems and tools as negative using words like frustrating, difficult, and inefficient. And the same analysis noted that service representative uses used an average of 8.2 different systems and tools during yeah. the customer yeah. interaction. So if that's, that's the true. way we're going to go, where we're just kind of piling stuff on, the whole thing's going to just collapse on itself, right? I think going back to my whole, like, if we're going to invest in technology for the customer experience, it needs to be about making it smoother and sort of rounding mm-hmm. out all the hard edges of it. I think the same thing has to happen for those employee experiences, where... It's not just use these nine different tools because then I can collect data nine ways till Sunday. It needs to smooth out. And we need to be thinking about the employee experience with the technology as a primary metric of success versus something we don't actually give a shit about. So I think organizations are trying to sell sunshine rainbows and your favorite unicorns to their employees, right? Yeah. This technology is going to But then it's like a huge mis-expectation. Cluster. It's a total cluster, right? We're on a journey as a society, um, as a business society, that says we recognize that AI, bots, all of this technology is the future. I don't think we were ever going to stop that train. It's on the way. And we're still in early days. I mean, it's going to be certainly our lifetimes before this gets really smooth. So you look at this in its early days. It's pioneer days. It's the next evolution and revolution of business. And so when organizations come out and they say, we're launching ABC technology and is sunshine and rainbows and your world is going to be so much better. Mm-hmm. And that's a load of nonsense. Yeah. It's actually not. What we should be saying to our people is the technology changes to serve you and our customers are critical to our success. We're on a lifetime journey here. This is the next stone in the pathway down that journey. And of course it's going to have problems and it's not going to be where we land, but we need you to help advance the organization. And so we're making false promises. We're setting false expectations. You're right. It should be smoother. It's not today. I just don't know if it's going to be tomorrow either. I think we've got to be thinking long term. So speaking of um, setting the right expectations, um, we had a conversation with uh, Chris Williams, who actually leads our tech adoption team here at Root to talk a little bit about um, how companies more effectively kind of set those expectations and really just sort of set people on the journey towards really adopting or embracing a technology as part of their employee experience versus having sort of an adversarial reaction to it. I'm anxious to hear what Chris has to say. And for our listeners, they'll notice that Chris talks a little funny. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. Let's hear what he has to say. This is New York accent. Big New York accent. Thick. We are so excited to have Chris Williams, a partner here at Root, with us to talk about tech adoption. Chris, you're a longtime listener, first time caller. Yeah, I believe I might. Am I your only listener? But I don't know. I I really like it. You might be. Yeah, yeah. You might. You might literally be talking to yourself right now. Now downloadable on Spotify. 
Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And iTunes. And iTunes. We're like and number, SoundCloud. number maybe like 15,000 on the iTunes chart right now. And trending up. <laughs> no, nowhere to go but up, Chris. <laughs> Um, I'm so excited to have you here to talk about tech adoption. I think one of our favorite topics. We talk about it all the time here in the office. Because that's how fun we are. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Super good times. <laughs> uh, so, Chris, one of the things, um, I have my tea here, so I was hoping maybe you could spill some. Um, one of my favorite things is when you come back from a, an initial conversation with a client, um, having heard where they are on their tech adoption journey. Right. They've implemented or they're about to implement a technology, and they have grand plans to how to make that work. Okay. Um, tell us about some of the um, some of the mistakes that some of those folks out there might be making okay. that our, our friends, our five other friends who listen to this podcast might uh, might want to hear about. All right. So um, yeah, for for Bridget's mom and dad, um, the way. Well, I, I'm trying to think. Yeah, you occasionally hear the odd horror story. I think most organizations understand that there's a uh, there's an important people side to any sort of technology change. But every now and again, <laughs> you get you get one or two who who don't quite see it. So I, I think one of the most common mistakes is the idea that we are integrating a new piece of technology that's just light years ahead of where we were beforehand. So people are going to love it. Mm. It's got all the fancy buttons and it'll do everything that it needs you to. So we'll do the training and the training will be enough to win people over. It'll just, people will just follow. They'll, they'll just, absolutely, they'll just think this is amazing and, mm-hmm. and that'll be that. And it, it's just not often the case. Um, and so recently I was with a client and they showed me their approach to driving change, which was one letter. It, it was a letter within a newsletter that didn't get opened by 90% of the population. <laughs> so that was probably a mistake. Probably. Probably. Yeah. One of the other things that I think is funny is, um, you know, you and I have talked a lot about how important it is to just get a lay of the land for, for users before yep. you implement a technology, before you even start talking about it. For sure. How's everybody thinking about their jobs today yep. um, so that you can kind of understand how they're going to be disrupted going forward. And one of my favorite conversations that we had with a prospective client recently was when they said, well, but what if the technology doesn't do what they want it to do? Right. Do you even <laughs> want to bring that up? <laughs> so maybe we shouldn't do these interviews. I remember that conversation. Yeah. yeah. Um, to which I was like, don't you, wouldn't you want to know that yeah. like in advance? So yeah. I feel like there is a little bit, maybe there's some um, ostrich head in the sand stuff that's going on as well. Y- yeah, I I think so. I, and, and that's a really good example of, an organization that's trying to drive change from the technology rather than from the user, which mm-hmm. is which is probably, th- this is what we see as you know, one of the, the biggest mistakes. We yeah. focus on the features, and if we hammer the features down their throat, right. then they'll love it, right? Yeah. And, oh, I don't want to hear anything that's contrary to that perspective, because then, you know what, it gets a little complex. And, and I think that the other point, and I remember that client conversation you were talking about, the, the other point that I, I don't think that they were quite grasping is it, it, it wasn't it wasn't to do with the technology. It was to, to do with the environment that they are working within. Mm-hmm. Like if you're trying to implement a new piece of technology that you say is a priority and they have 20 other priorities, then that's going to be a struggle. That's the sort of information you need to find out. Where does this fit within 
their landscape yeah. and within their work. Yeah, that brings up another good point, the prioritization piece. I think one of the things that you've kind of come back from the trenches with is like a lack of senior sponsorship or leadership or involvement in some right. way. What are some of the mistakes that you're seeing there that people should be avoiding? The, how, how long have we got? This is because there, there's a few. My parents will um, listen all day. Oh, okay. All right. So uh, the, the the first thing to point out is that we started to know this trend actually by going out and, and doing user insights as to what was important to them. And one of the things that kept on cropping up at various different organizations was that users were far more aware than leaders think about how aligned leaders are, how engaged leaders are, um, and... Um, and, and honestly, how much leaders know about the technology that they are investing in. Mm -hmm. So th there is a visibility element to it. And, and normally what happens at a rollout of a new technology is a leader will stand on stage and will tell them it's the best thing since sliced bread. And then they kind of <laughs> wipe their hands of it and then they go. Um, and then it's off to the project teams. But, but then any sort of change efforts doesn't really involve the leaders. Yeah. But who is it that the users are looking to for guidance? Who is it that they're looking to to represent the behaviors they want to see of everyone else? And right. it, it's, it's their leadership. Yeah. Um, and so that's a, that's a really in, important, important thing for leaders to understand. There is a lot more visibility into, into their engagement and alignment than you might think. So uh, working with one particular organization, I was in a room with their senior sponsors for the project. And I asked what I thought would have been a really simple question, which was, why are you implementing this piece of technology? So you'd think, you know, what, what's the business story? What's the need? What's the burning uh -huh. platform? And one guy who, who, was, uh, who was remote on... Um, How'd this shit get approved? I, they, they signed the check. They signed the check. And one guy just started laughing. And I was like, why are you laughing? He goes, well, I don't think we're entirely clear. So, you know, you, you have these cases where leaders are actually making significant significant investments in yeah. technology and to be fair to them they did have a sense for why they were doing it they just mm -hmm. couldn't articulate right it. they couldn't articulate it so and i have to imagine it's pretty easy to lose that thread and i think one of the things that we see with leaders all the time is to your point like they stand up they say this is really important this is a priority mm -hmm. and then they don't hold that in their head and connect it to the bigger picture of the business right, right. So now they're on to the next thing because, you know, we got to make the quarter numbers and we got to, you know, do all these other things. And they're not talking about through the, through the lens of, well, what are all the changes that we're trying to make? Right. And how do we connect those so people don't just say, okay, well, that adopting that technology is no longer the priority. Like making the number is the priority right. and by all means necessary, you know. Um, that's something that I see a lot. So I guess I could imagine like a team like that might have heard a case for change gone. Yep. Mm -hmm. Sounds good to me, and never talked about it again. Right, and now it's short-term memory loss. Like they they don't remember. Right, and yes, I I, I think that's one of them. Or the or the the other reason is you, you know when we think about leaders within an organization, they they're often just on a on a different elevation to everyone else mm -hmm. within the organization. So uh, leaders tend to have a higher IQ and lower EQ, and they've been working on these strategies like all year round. Mm -hmm. Um. And so for them, it makes intuitive sense. So there's no point talking about it, right? right? 
but for everyone else, it's, they, they, there's no connection. So I, I think there, there's that aspect. And then they also don't necessarily understand what it's like to be a user in these situations mm-hmm. as well. So there, there's often a bit of a, a disconnect there. Yeah. So actually, one of the things that uh, we were working with a client, and I thought they did really well, was they actually, when we were looking to sustain uh, an adoption of a piece of technology, they actually went back up to the leadership level and gave them basic skills training into how to use this tool. And by the way, it was a tool that wasn't designed for them to use. Yeah. It, it had nothing but they needed the leaders to have some empathy for what it actually took to use that tool That's awesome. and actually to show the behavior of, I can pull a report. So when I go into this meeting, I'm prepared to show people that I know how to use this tool and mm-hmm. how powerful is that? And that I use it, right? I'm going to use the information that you put in there. So yeah. if what you do is garbage, it's going gonna, it's gonna to show up. Right? Absolutely. And yeah. I'm looking. That's yeah. really interesting. Yeah. That's that's smart. It, it, it good is on very them. smart. What um, what else are you seeing on the on the good side? So where what are some of the strategies people are using um, to make change really stick? Yeah. So um, I, I think of it in, in four buckets, and we, we, we kind of mentioned a couple of them already, right? The, the, the first is to, to, to really zero in on the user and build the change around them, not around the technology. Mm-hmm. So we already talked about that. We talked about the importance of leadership alignment and advocacy. So that is, is, is integral uh, to any success and is, is probably the one that traditional change management misses. Like leaders seem to get a hall pass. When yeah. it comes to change management activities, Absolutely. it gets That's run from the true. project team down, mm-hmm. never up. Um, so, I, you know, that, that's a really important aspect. I think it's taken for granted, right? Like they sign the check. So so that's fine. So they're on board. Yeah, and I don't know what it is about technology. I, f- I feel that you and I have been in the room with major transformations, like major investments. And we will be given a lot of time with senior leaders mm-hmm. um, who will be willing to kind of beat things up, ensure that they're aligned, saying the same words, mean the same things, and they'll take a couple of days over it. And for some reason, when it comes to you significant... You get two days. No, no. With significant <laughs> investments in technology, you'd be lucky to get an hour yeah. with, with the same leaders, which, that, which is unusual. It's, why do you think that is? I don't know. I've absolutely no idea. <laughs> Insightful, That's really I know. interesting. Huh. I never, I never really made the connection of oh, it's the tech ones where you you can never get any leader, all the leaders in the room. Like there's something about a technology implementation that doesn't quite feel strategic enough in some way, or they're. It- is they it play big enough of a role in yeah. it? Yeah. Is it that leaders feel slightly more uncomfortable? Mm, it's that might not. Be it. It's not their territory. Yeah. While they could talk about some leaders can talk very well around actual strategy yeah, uh, or, or even culture. Actually, a lot of leaders are uh, far more attuned to culture, mm-hmm. but maybe technology is just that step where they go, we know we need it, but I don't but necessarily I don't... understand it enough. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe. Interesting. Maybe. Hmm. Where was I? All right. So... So leaders have to be aligned. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. 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 Go from the user back. Uh, oh, focus on shifting mindsets before skill sets. So mm-hmm. if uh, it doesn't matter, you can have all the features in the world. If your um, if your users go into training and you just think it's intuitive and it's great, it do- it doesn't matter if they're coming in with a perspective. Mm-hmm. If they're coming in with something that's going to be contrary to what you are trying to move within the organization, yeah. you really have to engage users in the why, the what, and the how, and what's in it for them. The, the WIFIM. Uh, and the WIFIM, by the way, I was in another organization and um, uh, someone thought it stood for, we're in it for the money, which 
I thought was I thought was hilarious. I mean, sometimes that is the oh, way. I get it is. I guess it is. Yeah. The burning desire piece. I think you have to be really careful about realistic expectation in that. Oh too, yeah, right? yeah, like, yeah. It can't be. Oh, which it, which it often is, right? Yeah. And and I, I I'm sure we've all been there. With the because like one glitch and that's it. You've lost all credibility. Yeah. And, and very often the technology doesn't live up to the promise. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, there there is a bit of balance there. You've got to be realistic. You've got to get people excited, but be realistic and be honest. Yeah. Don't say it's going to be something it's not. Right. Um, top tip. And I also think don't feel <laughs> don't say that it's it's going to be super easy. It can be a relatively intuitive thing, but let's be honest, business tools aren't intuitive. No, like even the ones that they say that. You pick up a business tool and use it the same way that you can use Instagram. Like it right. just there's too much intellectual horsepower that goes into doing the actual job yeah. in order for that to be the case. And so I feel like when they say like, "Oh, it's so simple and streamlined," you have to you're porting an entire way of doing things and moving it to somewhere else. So no right. matter what, it is not going to be intuitive on your first try because it it is doing a job that you used to do for however long. Right. In a completely different way. Yeah. So I don't know. I sometimes when people when when the selling point is the easiness, I get a little like yeah, yeah. Oh. A, a, a little the first two weeks, it's not going to be that easy. A, a little um, a little honesty goes a long way mm. in mm-hmm. these in these things. Um, and yeah, you know, this wasn't one of my four tips, but now you're saying it, I'm like, oh, actually, it's kind of it's one that's simple for anyone mm-hmm. to do. The you know treat your employees like adults and have an honest conversation with yeah. them. Don't dress it up um, a pig with lipstick. You know. Yeah. It's just it'll it'll never work for you. Yeah, we we had a, we were working with a like a giant healthcare system down south, and we were asking them about like past changes. Yeah. And they were talking about a tech adoption, and they're like they literally put us all in a stadium with pom poms, and like <laughs> made us try to cheer. <laughs> the bringing on of this costing <laughs> software and they were like it was just insulting yeah. like it was just it was just insulting and you're right like it was it was a whole lipstick on a pig situation yeah and it it, it happens frequently right. maybe not to that level that's quite impressive yeah i have to say they were i mean if you can imagine like a um practicing physician who is also a professor at a school of medicine <laughs> like picture everything you think of of that man right yeah. like he's He's kind of quirky. He's been, you know, he's been a doctor for 35 years, thinks he knows everything. And he's like, they literally handed me a pom-pom. Right. I mean, nah, yeah. not a good fit. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, don't, I don't know that's going to work. I don't know that's going to work. Um, oh, all right. Fourth and final one. Yeah. Uh, and we see this again and again and again. Uh, I, I think people think about driving change or what, what's traditionally thought of as change management up to the point where they implement the technology. And then they kind of just fade off. And it's a huge mistake. So if you think about, you were talking about how nothing's ever really intuitive. Yeah. So you can, you can do all the why, the what, the how, what's in it for me. You can give them the best training and everyone's raring to go. But then you're, you're kind of on this down curve, this emotional down curve, because it's new actions, behaviors, routines. Mm-hmm. And if you are not consistently thinking about how do we actually help our users through this, because it's tough, then while they may have adopted it to begin with, six months down the line, they may have gone back to using other tools and techniques. So just this whole idea of you've got to think about a long tail, you've got Mm -hmm. to think about um, 
not being judged on adoption in week one, but being judged on adoption in year one or, right. or whatever it might be that makes sense for the yeah. business. Yeah, because ultimately the point is to get everybody using it. Maybe not day one. Yeah. But, you know, also you don't want everybody to use it day one and then not using it. Yeah. Day and, 365. And that happens a lot. Yeah. A lot. Or, or at least the technology might be, and, and actually I was just in a meeting today with a CIO where he was saying, be careful about the word adoption and, and what it mm. means. And so even diving into that, you know, there's this whole sense of someone can log into it and someone somewhere has gone, tick the box, that's, yeah. they've adopted it. When if they're not using it, then you're not, right. you're, you're not doing anything to what the business actually wants you to do with that tool. Yeah, yeah, yeah it's totally underutilized. So for your four plus one tip. So number one is uh, drive change the user, user. Yeah. right? Yeah. Two is get the leaders aligned and on board and aligned. Championing. Yeah, and advocating. Yeah, okay. absolutely. Yeah. Um, three is share the why, what, how, and we're in it for the money <laughs> with them. <laughs> Four is it's a marathon, not a sprint. So think about the long tail. Yep. Of the adoption. Yep. And bonus five. Bonus five. How about treating everybody like adults? Yeah, that's or true. adults, as they say. In the UK. What do I say? Oh, you yeah. Say I know, but I've been here so long, I can never remember which is English. Which is which? And, yeah, it's like, I, I don't know. Schedule, schedule. I don't know which is which anymore. It's schedule. So it's schedule for me. Is that right? <laughs> That's right. I don't know. I, All right. Well, thanks, Chris. My pleasure. We appreciate it. I appreciate being invited on. I can't wait to listen to myself. Thank you, everybody, for joining and putting up with me and having the opportunity to listen to the always thought provoking Bridget Stallcamp. Today's episode of Nothing Constant was recorded by Nick Floyd, produced by Jessica Greer, mixed and co-produced by me, Dave Anling. Nothing Constant is proudly produced by the Root Inc. Radio Network.